We're going to read through 1 Peter. I'm going to pick up a bit where Rick had read some last week. Uh, I'm going to read beginning in verse 11 of 1 Peter. We're looking at 1 Peter through this lens of standing firm. Keep that before you. As, as just let that be a bit of a lens, if you will, a filter for what you hear. And, and as you endeavor and are open to the Lord to applying what you're hearing, under the idea and the principle and the truth that we are called to stand firm, to stand for truth, to resist opposition, to stand as the church, as a beacon of light, as a beacon of truth, as a beacon of hope in this day and in this age. And so this is our, our lens for which we're going through First Peter. And I just want to make a statement before I read the portion of text this morning and I want you to consider this as you listen to the words of Peter. When the world rejects the message of the gospel, as it does so actively in this day, when the world rejects the gospel, what is the strategy by which we take up or do we turn to as Bible-believing, Jesus-obeying Christ followers in this day and age? When the world says no, what's the strategy we have? What do we have left? And this is what Peter is going to be getting at here in part as we read this portion of the text. So beginning now, Peter chapter 2, I want to begin in verse 11. I'm going to read through verse 25 this morning. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if while, excuse me, for what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were straying like sheep, 
but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Father, we receive your word this morning with glad hearts. We receive, Lord, today your instruction. And Father, I pray for every heart to be open to receive truth today. Holy Spirit, apply it. Apply it to our life. You are the great instructor. You are the one who leads us into truth, Holy Spirit. And so we beseech you today, would you please mold our hearts, conform us, Lord, we pray, for the glory of your name, for the sake of your kingdom, amen. So as I said a moment ago, the lens is standing firm, and this comes from Peter's statement in chapter 5, verse 12, where he says, this is the grace of God. This is the grace of God, and then he makes the statement, stand firm in it. And the question then that we have to ask ourselves is, what is this grace? He, he finishes the whole letter by making the statement, this is the grace of God. Stand in it. What is it? So we're going through now, First Peter, and we're trying to identify week in and week out the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church. Brothers and sisters, do you understand the significance of that statement? The grace of God for you today. It's not just truth that comforts. It's grace that empowers and strengthens and enables his church and his people to be who they are supposed to be. This is the grace of God, Peter says. Stand firm in it. And so we're asking ourselves, what is this grace? And we've seen that we've been called to, re be, to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to faithfully remain where he has placed us for such a time as now. If you are here today, this is where God has placed you, not just in his church, in the city, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, where you find yourself today, brothers and sisters, is where God has placed you. Be faithful not only to his word, but be faithful to remain. I read a statistic this week that said 53% of Californians are thinking about leaving the state. It was a poll that was taken last year in 2020. 53%. I didn't bother to even go on to figure how many have actually left. But for the first time in decades, California last year posted a, a net loss of population in its state. And we know that, of course, some of that has to be attributed to COVID because migration into the state dropped, of course. And we also know that there were deaths that took place within the state. So those things have to be attributed to it. But there is also just a, a decade-long trend that they've been seeing of this exodus from the state of California. But do we believe that this is where God has us? As difficult as that can be in this time that we find ourselves. How many of you, without raising your hand, because it might discourage me, have, thought, have in the last 12 months thought about, man, if I could just get out of here, if I could just get out of this state. I said, don't show me your hands, doggone it. <laughs> no, I mean, the reality is, is we probably have all thought that. I mean, let's be honest. No, some of you are saying no. no. That's good. Good. In my weakness, I've thought of it. In my weakness and in my moments of, of wanting to find others who are more like-minded in terms of a civic community, 
that promote more of the ideals that I hold to. In my moments of weakness, I've thought, man, let's bail out of here. Don't worry, we're not going anywhere. No, we're not. For this very reason, this is where God has placed us. This is what God has called us to. We must hold to a semblance of faith, not just happenstance that we have found ourselves in California in the midst of all this turmoil. But man, brothers and sisters, God chose you to reside here because of who he has created you to be, because what he's placed inside of you. This city desperately needs us to hear this message today. And I believe we need to hear it as well. Perhaps even some of us more than others, myself included. So I've entitled today's message this, Live Honorable, Live Free. Live Honorable, Live Free. As much as our city needs us to hear this, we need to hear this message today. We need to hear the words of Peter and his call for us to live honorable and live free. The Lord has provided for us, church, a grace to remain and to stand firm in, and not just to remain and stand firm, but to flourish during this time of exile in Babylon. He doesn't want us just to get by, but the Lord has provided for his church a grace to flourish, for our children to flourish in spite of what happens in the education system, in spite of the the, the public recreation systems that are available for them to enjoy, in spite of their isolation from other friends, the Lord has given our children the grace to remain and to flourish and to thrive in this city and in this place. Some of you are probably already thinking, I've got your grace right here, buddy. As you're Google searching open enrollment for militias in the state of Jefferson, you know. I got your grace, man. No, I'm just kidding. Let's have ears to hear this morning because I believe the Lord is going to speak to us. He wants to speak to us clearly. So now moving into the body of the letter, Peter begins to, to, to transition, if you will, because thematically he's transitioned. Most of all of chapter one and what we've read so far has all been speaking to us about the the importance of our identity. And he uses the language in the very beginning, in chapter 1, verse 1, to the elect exiles of the dispersion. To the elect exiles. And now again we see he picks the same verbiage up again in verse 11. And he says, as sojourners and exiles. And so he's been establishing his readers thus far in the reality of the fact that they are resident aliens passing through a foreign land whose citizenship is not of this earth or of this world, but of heaven. And we've taught that and we've spoken and we looked at that. Brothers and sisters, remind yourself of that today because that is very important now for him that he's going to build upon of everything that we've just read. So he's been speaking about identity, but now he's going to transition and he's going to begin to speak on what it means to live a godly life, to live a life of external witness to our heavenly citizenship in the face of a watching world. And it does not get much more practical than that. So let's this morning dig in to hold, to find and to apply 
into our hearts the truth of what the Lord is speaking to us today. So last week, Rick closed with, this, with a question, and he said, which side of the cross do you live on? You guys remember that? Which side of the cross do you live on? Well, I would like to, to begin with a similar fashion and ask another question. Where does your allegiance lie? And that might be a really simple question on the surface for us to answer. Well, it's of course, it's to the Lord, Jesus Christ. But see, this is, this is what Peter was getting at in his text here that we've read. Where does your allegiance lie? In other words, P- Peter's saying, who do you serve and who do you follow? He's reminding the early church that you serve the Lord, and he's going to say that you are servants of God. And it is whom, him whom we follow. And so just a quick heart check for us this morning as we begin church. Are we Caesars or are we gods? And I know that we all believe that we are gods. But just like the exiles for which were written of Israel in the Old Testament, which Nehemiah spoke to, and who Joshua said reminded the Israelites of the promise or of the of the covenant as they went into the promised land. Do not intermingle. Do not intermarry. Do not become diluted and weakened by the world that you will find yourself placed within. How easy it is for his church to become dissipated in such a way. So just as we begin, whose are we? Are we Caesars or are we gods? We know that we are gods. And if we are gods, then wouldn't it be correct to say that ultimately everything that we do is to him and for him? Everything we do is for him, if we are his, if we are, as Peter says, servants of God, his royal priesthood, his chosen people, his holy priesthood. Peter's saying, this is who you are, this is whose you are, and so now this is whom you are to live for, and this is how you are to live. Brothers and sisters, our identity, as Peter has laid out so well, so clearly, our identity, it defines our orientation in life. As God's chosen people, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, not just a nation, but his holy nation, his consecrated, his set apart, his distinct people, consecrated, purified, created for a purpose. That's what he means by holy nation. As such, as his holy nation, we must live as faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ and his gospel message. But Peter is going to take it even one step further here, and this, I believe, is where the rub is, because it's not enough just to know whose we are, nor for whom we live for, but how we live, according to Peter, speaks volumes of the one that we live for. What it looks like, and Peter's going to tell us what it looks like. Remember, live honorable, live free. That's what Peter is going to teach us. And Peter's going to instruct that the exiles and sojourners, as such, live without unnecessary offense in the world, to the world that they find themselves in. That in so doing, he's going to say that we would put to silence the ignorance of a foolish people. To live as a righteous and holy witness and testimony 
of who God is as his people. Yes? So he speaks firstly of living honorably. And I don't want to spend as much time on this as living free. So I'm going to just go through this quickly because it's so much of what we know and we've spoken of already in last week of of this side of the cross and new creation life. But just quickly in verses 11 and 12, he speaks of what it is to live honorably. He says this, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, and this is why, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Live honorably, Peter says. But this behavior that he's speaking has a direct connection as we've already labored in to remember of who we are. How we live is determined by who we are or who we understand ourselves to be, as Rick said last week. And so he ties this living as honorable Christians, this witnesses as honorable Christians, to abstaining from the passions of our flesh. This word here for abstain literally means to distance yourself from the said thing. Avoid it like the plague, Peter says. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Don't allow... <laughs> Ooh. No, no. More than six feet. More than six. 600. 600 feet. Peter's saying, listen, don't allow yourself to be deluded and don't allow your witness to be weakened through succumbing to your earthly lusts and your earthly passions. And he's not just speaking sexually either, even though we know that's a significant aspect of this in light of today's totally overly sexualized world that we live in. And Paul helps us to better identify what we are to abstain from. Turn with me quickly to, isn't it funny how we say that? Turn with me quickly. Turn with me quickly to Colossians. We get there quickly, but then we slow down and we read it really slow. Turn, turn with me to Colossians as I quickly read chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. This is just, again, abstain from the passions of the flesh. This is, Paul identifies this. Colossians 3, Galatians 5, Ephesians 5. Paul gets very specific about that which we are to put off. But let me just read this. Beginning now in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Brothers and sisters, that's you and I. We have been raised with Christ. Set your minds, verse 2, on the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And now here is what he says, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. It's the same idea as abstain. Avoid it like the plague. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, Evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And then he gives us more. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And he says in verse 9, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And some of these things that, that, Pete, that Paul tells us 
to put away and to put off. Again, he's going to comment on other letters. As I said in Galatians 5 and Ephesians 5, he lists some of them again, but it's really interesting and we don't have time to dig into all of it. But when you read these, sexual immorality, impurity, and passion, we have a tendency to go like, that's the same thing. Sexual immorality, impurity, and passion. Any of you read those kind of like, ah, that's probably just talking about sexual immorality. Obviously, there's a reason why different language was used. Sexual immorality is, is lustful. Listen, lustful, uh, sorry, this is impurity. In the, in impurity in the, in, the, in the Greek, it means lustful and luxurious, wasteful living. That's the idea that Paul is getting at with this word. Lustful and luxurious, wasteful living. Sexual immorality is, is what we know it to be. The word passion is this, this, this picture of wicked and evil desires in our life. Covetousness, idolatry, of, nor, of course, we know is that which takes the place of God. Brothers and sisters, as it was just kind of sarcastically commented, it's the American life. The American living, in a sense, in terms of what it idealizes and what it promotes, in part, is what Paul is saying. Put these things off, cast them away, abstain from them. And we don't have time to dig into the nuances of that. You know that, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that all of these are evil. But what I am saying is that there's something within them when it becomes an ideology or, or a value that's raised to a place where it ought not to be, where only God should take its place in our hearts, then it becomes a sin for our life. And so Peter, again, is saying, listen, live honorably. How do we live honorably? By not giving ourselves to these things as primary and supreme in our life. Then there's more, but again, we don't have time for them right at this moment. And so Paul would say in Ephesians 5, listing many of the same earthly traits that we are to cast off, walking instead, Paul says, walk as imitators of Christ and as children of light, taking no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead exposing them. We expose them by righteous living, by living contrary to, to that which the world promotes. Amen? Again, this is stuff you know, but it's important in the context as a reminder for how do we live when the message of the gospel is rejected by the culture that we find ourselves in? What do we resort to? Exemplary, Christ-exalting Christian witness. And brothers and sisters, that may mean, depending on the context that you find yourself in, that you might have to take something that in your own heart you live free and find liberty in, but because it's such a value that the Lord may call you to remove it from your life or your life's pursuit. Are we willing to hold our life that loosely as to say, man, you know what? I'm not bound by this, but interestingly enough, I find myself in a neighborhood or I find myself as a business owner or as an employee in this environment where, man, this thing is primary. What an amazing witness it would be if I was able to, even in my liberty, not 
place that as a stumbling block in front of those whom the Lord has put me in. I mean, this is, now it's getting into the nitty gritty, right? But my question to you, brothers and sisters, is are we willing to hold it all that loosely? To live in the passions of the flesh is to serve the king of the flesh, Satan himself. We were talking, I was talking with a a group of individuals uh, recently, and we were talking about just the issue of sexual purity as needed in the life of a Christian today, and how when when we draw this line, there is no amoral stance on sexual purity. It's either serving God or it is expanding the kingdom of Satan. It's sometimes it's helpful to draw those lines because we love to find the gray area to just like, you know, to exist within sometimes. But there's certain things, there's no gray. And it's helpful to remember like, what I'm doing right now is actually furthering the kingdom of the enemy and not the kingdom of God. That was a freebie. So the instruction here for us then is like a traveler or a stranger who passes through a land when he says abstain from the passions of the flesh is to not take up for ourselves the habits of the foreign culture that surrounds us. And so as we as Christians, as ambassadors for the kingdom of God in this day and age, must subdue by the grace of God the passions of our flesh and abstain from them by his grace through his spirit, because how we live has ramifications as to our visible witness of Jesus Christ. As we live out the light that we are, we expose the fruitlessness, the the frivolity and the dead works of the world that lead only to death of both the body and the soul. I was thinking just this statement that this isn't Peter's purpose is not a message of preservation for the church. This isn't one to try to help them figure out how to get by. This is a a message of representation of whom do we serve and who do we reflect and how are we reflecting him in this day and age. Listen, this is applicable from the oldest of us to the youngest of us in this place. Emerging generation kids, seven, eight, nine, ten, teenagers, who do you serve and how does your behavior reflect the God that you serve? The jokes you say, the thoughts that you have, the words that you use, one of the promote things that we promote in our home is, 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 is not to swear. Well, Why? I mean, we could argue the merits of swearing. Ah, it feels great. It's cathartic. But we talk to our children of just early in age of teaching them, man, there is something about being different and distinct. So be distinct. Be different because who you are reflects the one you follow. Right, kids? How about the teens? Can I get a... No, because nobody does that anymore. (laughs) Can I get that from my late 20-somethings? Thank you. All right. 
Uh, I said I was going to try to go through that quickly, and I didn't. So live with honor, live with honor through abstaining. And then he's going to say live free. And I just want to say this to begin. We are the freest of all people. We are the freest of all people. And I'm not just talking about our souls being free from salvation. I mean, from being free from sin through salvation. Huh? Scratch that from the recording. I'm not just speaking of salvation for our souls. We are the freest because we live under no other. We serve no one but who? Therefore, we are subjected to no other but God himself. Now, it sounds contrary to what Peter says, but let me flesh this out for us here. Similar to how our living honorable results from our, from our abstaining from the flesh, now Peter provides a second characteristic of the Christian life that's brought about by a divine cause, and it's this. It is freedom and submission, or the other way around, we can submit because we are free. Peter's instruction here is that as earthly citizens, we are to submit ourselves willingly, listen, we are to submit ourselves willingly and joyfully to the governing civil authorities, recognizing that they have been given to us by God for the sake of human flourishing. He said it, okay? Now, some of you, you're already wanting to walk out, but just hang in there for a minute. Listen, I wrestled with this, you guys, because, and we'll, I'll, I'll speak on it in a moment. There's a rub, and there's a moment where that crosses our current as Christians, where we have to say no. But the reality is, is this is what is instructed, and it's, it's thought that Peter's writing before the real persecution of Nero came, and the, and the martyred Christians began to amass in numbers. But Peter is saying, listen, this is how we live. There was opposition, there was persecution that these churches were facing. I mean, we know it. He talks about suffering, so it's not like everything's sunshine and roses, but we have to just hear it for what it is to begin with. I wrestled with it, but this is what the text says. So give me some room for a minute here. We live in this joyful submission because we know that ultimately it is not them who we serve, but it is God himself. Because Peter says we live as servants of God. In fact, we take it even a step further and we say that as believers, we've received a freedom and a liberty from Christ, one which is unlike any other, for it is the truest freedom of all. Put on with me just for a moment your thinking caps. Earthly personal liberty that the world holds and promotes. Earthly personal liberty, I would say, is not true liberty at all. But rather, it is a willful binding of the subjective conscience of each individual. See, we're seeing this exercised more and more in the world around us and loudly promoted. Because it, but it, the problem is, is that it only goes as far as the next person exercising their own liberty. So what I'm saying is that what the world promotes as liberty and freedom is really just their own conscience as the highest standard of authority, 
But the rub comes when you come up against the next person with their own conscience and their own highest standard of authority. And so ultimately what happens is it's subjected to one another. But as believers and as Christians who are not subjectively placed underneath, but objectively free through the truthfulness that is Christ Jesus, who is our freedom, who has set us free, and now we live to him and to him alone. We are the freest of them all. Christian liberty is true liberty because it's not bound to the subjective will. And this is genuine Christian liberty. It's not bound to the subjective will, but it's bound objectively to none other than God himself, and thereby it is free from all man. Are you following this? See, this is a bit of what Peter was combating. The early church converts who found themselves in the gospel were looking for reasons to cast off earthly restraint under the assumption of now like, hey, I'm just free. I'm free from everything. And Peter's saying, well, no, you're actually a servant of God. And as a servant of God, he has placed in this worth Systems of authority and governance that are for our good. Submit to them, he says. And in so doing, you submit to the Lord. You're not submitting or subjecting yourself to Caesar, to the governor, to the president. You are subjecting yourself and submitting unto the Lord. And then for this point, Peter ties in with the example that we have in Jesus Christ, who is himself a representation of this on earth. He was subjected not to his own will, but to that of the Father's, whose path we are now called to follow in. And Peter says this, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example, so that you might follow in his steps, verse 21. Christ suffered, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. So the model then is clear. As Christians in this world, we submit humbly to those who the Lord has placed over us, just as Jesus himself submitted to the earthly authorities, which is the will of God. A early 20, 20th century theologian, Edward Gordon Selden says this, Selwyn says this, Christian freedom rests not on escape from service, but on a change of master. I thought, wow, what a helpful statement. We're not free from everything. We're free to serve the Lord and to serve him only. Ultimately, this is the way we live because we're God's people. We're God's treasured possession. I got to move on quickly. I have this picture and I'm going to skip it, but I just want to say, there's a, I believe that this message that Peter is speaking ties really closely. Are we over here? Everybody, what's going on over there? This message that Peter is speaking ties very closely to what Rick spoke last week when he spoke out of Jeremiah and this idea and this picture to seek the welfare of the city. And I, had to, I wanted to speak on that, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to skip it because ultimately it's unimportant. But I, had, I just want to say this. I was reading that text this week, and as I read it, I realized that is a Garden of Eden picture. In it, there's cultivation that he talks about. There's multiplication. There's flourishing. There is a, a, a reflection 
on the Eden of the past and the Eden of the future. And he talks about your future hope and being brought back in to the land that you were exiled from. Speaking of us, brothers and sisters, in the future eternal hope that we have in Christ. And so in this, Jeremiah's letter to the exiles is to seek the welfare. And just to quickly say that the word for welfare there is shalom. And shalom is not just an absence of turmoil. Shalom is actually the absence of turmoil with a right standing with God. It's righteousness. Seek righteousness in your city, brothers and sisters. That's so helpful for us right now as we're trying to navigate and find what, how do I respond here? What is right in this? Who do I submit and where do I submit? And blah, 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 blah. It's what is the path of righteousness as believers? Pursue righteousness for your city, for in it you will find peace. So here's the rub, is that we are all living in a time, and we're all sitting in a place, in this moment, willfully not submitting to the authorities of this city. So then the question is, well, when is that okay? And we're all probably wondering that, right? Nope. Good. Thank you. Well, listen, here, this, this is what I want to say. Just to begin, we, have, we must not be confused. Because remember, Peter's first point, that we are God's first. Okay? We belong to God. We are aliens and strangers in a foreign land. We are citizens of heaven first and foremost. And then citizens of this earth, secondly, to whatever degree they do not conflict with each other. Citizens of heaven first, citizens of earth. And when the rub comes, what are we? Citizens of heaven. So in matters of earthly rule, when, when civil authorities call its citizens to unrighteousness and to disobedience to the law of God or the, to the commands of Scripture, we must Refuse, citing our obedience and our loyalty to the king as primary and not the kings of this earth. Can I just read for you quickly? Most of you are familiar with St. Augustine's writing, The City of God. If you've not read it before, I want to just read for you an excerpt. Augustine, in part of this, part of this writing of The City of God, is dealing with these two citizenships, the city of the earth and the city, or the celestial city. And he says this, families which do not live by faith seek their peace in the earthly advantages of this life, while the families which live by faith look for those eternal blessings which are promised. The celestial city, he says, knew that one God only was to be worshipped, and that to him alone was due that service which the Greeks call worship. And that the heavenly city has been compelled in this matter of worship to dissent and to become obnoxious to those who think differently and to stand the brunt of their anger and hatred and persecutions. This heavenly city then, while it sojourns on earth, calls citizens out of all nations and gathers together a society of pilgrims of all languages not scrupling about diversities in the manners, laws, and institutions whereby earthly peace is secured and maintained, 
But recognizing, however various these are, they all tend to one and the same end of earthly peace. And then he makes this statement, there is therefore, it, sorry, it therefore is so far from rescinding and abolishing these diversities that it even preserves and adopts them so long as no hindrance to the worship of the one supreme and true God is thus then introduced. He's wrestling with this in, was this the 5th century, I believe, right? This was 450-something, four, I think. Augustine is wrestling with this. The early church is wrestling with this dual citizenship. And when the rub comes and one is called to contradict the other, and he too, in his brilliance, deduced early on that, man, it is that of the celestial city ultimately. And the two coexist so long as the one does not introduce disobedience to the one supreme and true God. That is our call. That is my, my quick introduction into righteous disobedience. We are the kings first and foremost. And so if it is an issue of conscience for you today, let the Lord settle it. I think if we're here, it has been settled. But some of you still might be uncertain in your own hearts of ah, whether it's this or whether it's some other thing that's being asked of you. Seek the righteousness in your city. Remember who you serve. Remember whose you are. And now let's live honorably and let's live free. We are the freest. We are subjected to none other than God himself. And Peter is going to end this portion with four imperatives and there's definitely no time to talk about them, but it's just, he says this, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God and honor the emperor. May I just say this? Because the, the, the constraints of sinful selfishness are broken through Christ Jesus, we are now free to love one another. Because we understand and we maintain the inherent value in every creature being created in the likeness of God we're free to respect and to honor everyone, believers and non-believers alike. Well, so when he says this, this shouldn't be an issue for us, is my point. In Christ, he's dealt with, the, with, with that which stood in the way of honoring everyone, loving the brotherhood, fearing God, and honoring the emperor. And because we fear God alone, we're free to respect and to honor those whom God has placed in authority over us, knowing that it is God whom we serve and it is not man that we serve. I just want to finish with this statement from, oh, it's from Timothy, from 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, he says, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. He says, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all people be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. May we live in peace, brothers and sisters. May we seek true peace in our city. We're not looking to live contradictory because it feels good and it satisfies the passion of our flesh to rise up. We rise up to unrighteousness. We stand against disobedience. 
But in all matters of life, we seek first to live without unnecessary conflict. May we seek the peace of our neighborhoods in our city to the glory of God. Amen? I went over. I apologize. Would you like to, do you have anything you want to say just to end? I know you do. All right. Would you stand with me, please? I always just to like to, just so you know, it's, it's, just, it's part of us both working in team and um, understanding the value of the gifts that we have as fellow elders, one from another. And so we endeavor to, to lead as a team week in and week out. And so sometimes we'll defer or we'll hand off. And so that's what that is. But just for the sake of time, may I pray? Um, I want to say this too. I felt like the Lord gave me something this week. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And I understand that it's Mother's Day and we're after 12. So here's how we're going to respond. If you would like to receive prayer, we want to pray for you. And so we'll do so right over here this morning. So let me just share with you what the Lord spoke to me. And then I'll pray. And then we'll pray for you. Um, I felt like, and this came because I was in reading a lot Jeremiah's letter to the exiles, and I was reminded of both Ezra chapter 3 and Nehemiah chapter 13, and there was two different people groups represented in those chapters. And in Ezra chapter 3, when they see the foundations of the new temple being built, it says that the, the older individuals the older priests, the older Levites, those who knew the glory of the first began to weep. And there was indecipherable sounds coming, both of rejoicing for the temple being built and also of weeping for that of the new. And I just felt that the Lord said there are some who are mourning in their spirits for what was in this natural earth. And we look back and just wish that we could have what we had prior to this last year. Or that things would be more of like they were, you know, whether it's politically for some of us to the glory days of, I don't know, the 80s and the Reagan administration. But it, was, it wasn't spe- specific, but it was just to say that there's some of us who are mourning what was. And God is calling us to come into a place of faith outside of that looking backwards and wants to remind us of what he's doing now. And the second comes from Nehemiah chapter 13, and this was more of what I spoke of this morning, that Nehemiah had to then deal with those who had been compromised because of their intermarrying with each other. And he actually had to separate husbands and wives because of their disobedience. He called Husbands and wives who were intermarried culturally to separate. And it actually goes so far as to say that the children only spoke the language of the people. And I felt like the Lord just said that some of us have become so intermingled with culture that our children are only speaking the language of this day and age. And I felt like we needed to repent, or some of us need to repent of that this morning and just again, be reminded of our citizenship in heaven. And so I want to pray if you're one of those two things, someone who's mourning what was or someone who perhaps 
has become too dissipated and weakened in their witness because of intermingling with culture. I want to pray for you this morning. And so we'll pray over here afterwards, but let me just pray for all of us, and then we'll excuse you um, just to go about your morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you give us truth that challenges us. Father, that, that these are opportunities for us to submit with joy to your lordship and to your instruction. And Father, I pray that you would take now our hearts and take these words that have been spoken, Lord, and would you massage the truth into our hearts, Father, that it would strengthen us to stand firm as the people you've called us to be. Father, I pray for those who, who find themselves stuck and yearning for what was, that you would give them a sense of faith and vision for what currently is. Father, that we would look not with eyes to the past or even stuck in the present moment, but Lord, understanding that the future affects the now. Lord God, that it is what you will do that causes us and gives us vision and charts our course for how to live in the present. And Lord, I ask for those of us who have compromised in our hearts. Lord, even those who don't find themselves now so bound up, but you're just pricking our spirits, Lord, and saying, man, you, you've compromised here or you're beginning to compromise here. Lord, I pray for the grace of God to free us from the constraints that this world places on us, to free us, Lord, from, from the passions of the flesh that we find ourselves given to. Lord, that we would run, as Hebrews says, without hindrance and without stumbling, Lord, the race that is marked before us. And would you encourage us as a Christian community, Lord God, to run alongside of each other, to call us to truth, to call one another, Lord, to righteous living, to honorable Christian witness, and to freedom in submission to God and God alone. Strengthen this community of believers, Lord God. We love you, Lord. All glory be to Jesus Christ. Glorify yourself in this church, we pray, Lord. Glorify yourself in us as individuals, in our children, in our families, Lord, that we would proclaim of the magnificence of Christ Jesus, of the marvel and the wonder that is the gospel of grace. Build us together, unite us, knit us, Lord. Keep us one as the world would want to divide. Keep us unified for the witness and purity of your church, Lord. And we again, we pray, Father, for an ample blessing on the mothers in this room, for the mothers who were and the mothers who will be and the mothers who currently are. Lord, would you fill them with grace, Father, to raise sons and daughters, and to train them in the ways of the faith, to care for and steward the gifts that you've given to them, Lord, and to partner with those who have spouses in being messengers of the gospel. Father, we thank you that you know our trials and our difficulties, Lord God, and your spirit helps us in our moments of weakness. Strengthen our mothers, we pray. We thank you for the gift that they are in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.